power. When we listen and gain our knowledge and power, we turn to the no bullshit hour. Let's just end breaking news. No more bullshit. No more bullshit. No bullshit. Hey. I, you know what? What? I got PTSD. The whole 20 years is coming back to me. A whole 20 year sweep. I Probably the most consequential time in American history. And I know every generation says that. But if you look what's going on and where we're going with the money and the world order and what's going on in Afghanistan, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where I've been in 20 years. I just feel like a dusty old man. I tried hardest. So look, here's the thing. Turn it off. If you don't like what I'm saying, I'm not going to fucking argue with you. You can go away. I'm trying to give you the truth. Do with it what you will. I'm not picking a side. We try to do our work, do we not, Karen? We try very hard, Charlie. Very there's a, much so. There's so much shit going on, and it's coming out of here. And if you're a Democrat and you don't like it, take a walk. If you're a Republican you don't like it, take a walk. Take a walk. Or you can hang out. Maybe guess something. I'm not telling you how to think. I'm just trying to give you real people, real facts. What did I tell you eight weeks ago, folks? Remember, this is the only place, my brothers and sisters, anywhere in this world that's been trying to remember the beginning of the last 20 years, 9-11. Us. What did we tell you eight weeks ago? Biden wants to pull out of Afghanistan, so he's got some pictures to tweet for the 20th anniversary. And what did we say? It ain't going to end up well. Not good timing. Why don't you tell Biden? Because he's acting like nobody told him. Maybe they didn't, Mark. <laughs> Maybe he's not listening to Charlie. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, look, uh, uh, joining us, and we'll get to him, is from West Bloomfield. Yes, there are Marines from West Bloomfield. <laughs> Corporal Chad McHugh, 2nd Battalion, 9th Marines Weapons Company. Two tours in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. Also to be joined. How you doing, Charlie? I'm good, brother. How are you? Doing great. Show us that scar. Show okay. the scar. Look at that thing. Oh my God, it's his whole left peck. Oof. He took one in the heart. Where'd you get that? Did you get that in uh, Kandahar? What tour? <laughs> tour Detroit. You got Downtown. that in Detroit. <laughs> he got that in Detroit. So he survives Afghanistan yes, and Iraq, and he comes home to the brokest big city in America and catches one in the ribs. Jesus. One trillion, two trillion dollars. 2,500 American service people dead, 4,500 wounded, not to mention the thousands of Afghani civilians and soldiers, two trillion. And we got nothing here. Wake up. Also to be joining us is a dear, dear friend of mine. Right, uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you this bio, listen to this. 
David Rode is the online news director for the New Yorker magazine. It's a pretty big deal. He's the winner of two Pulitzer Prizes, one for the mass graves in Srebrenica during the Bosnian War and one for his coverage of Afghanistan. He was kidnapped by the Taliban in 2008 and held for ransom for seven months until he escaped one night. He'll be joining us, but right now, he's on the phone trying to get his brother out of Afghanistan, a fellow journalist and interpreter who was with him and also was abducted, who became an American citizen. He heard Biden saying, we're pulling out. He went back to go get the rest of his family and now he can't get out. How could we let God. such a thing and be? And he's a citizen. He's a US citizen. Wow. What are we doing? And if you're not angry about if you're not humiliated about, uh, humiliated about it, yeah. you should be. Yeah. It's an embarrassment. Man, it's a human crisis. But yes, well, has everybody gotten so used to nobody doing anything other than complaining, other than, you know, photo ops and, you know, sound bites. And then we just keep going. We keep doing the same things that get us into the situations that we complain about. Like, are people just so complacent with that? I mean, nobody, nobody I, could pick Afghanistan out on a map last week. Right, Chad? I mean, you sir. I could. Yeah, you, you could. That's where you left your innocence, bro. So Chad's going to tell us what it's like, uh, what the Afghani uh, national forces are like, what was going on, and then uh, hopefully David can join us. I told him, don't sweat it, bro. It's a human life. We're just a dumpy podcast in a basement. Lower level. Thank you. See that? I held up the hand. I knew it. Man, we are smoking, Karen. Okay, but um, first, I want to reverse things. This is a recollection of mine. Post 9-11, like I think we just gone in to Afghanistan, and we I think for the first time, many of us come out of ground zero. We come out of the dust. It's a New York Times crew. They open the bar for us after hours. There's no lights to speak of. It's candlelight, and, and we're having some drinks to check in on one another. Uh, before we do this, uh, I want to tell you that it's brought to you by working people. The bricklayers and allied craft workers are local too. They need skilled bricklayers to get these projects done. There's a ton of them, folks. If you're looking for a career, fully paid health insurance, plus a $2,000 signing bonus, and they'll train you, you're going to go to bricklayers.org and click join BAC. Got it? Simple enough. A great career, a real one for people that want to work and raise a family. It is the bricklayers.org. Click join BAC. This uh, piece was uh, filmed and edited by Byron Goggin. He's now with us. He's our director of our photography. We're about ready to get groovy. We're about ready to take over. It's coming in September. In the meantime, enjoy this little bit. We're sitting in a bar and it had to be past midnight, subdued. We had just gone into Afghanistan. And I had gone down to up, I had gone up to Times Square to enlist in the Marines. My father was in Nam, my brother was in Korea, my grandfather was in World War II, this was my neighborhood. And I was 36 years old and the recruiter said, you're gonna have to get a note from your congressman. <laughs> you're one year too old, try the army. 
I ended up going to Iraq with, with the Marines. Felt it my duty. But I remember sitting in this bar and a guy's telling me, one of these New York Times guys, they're different than us Detroit guys, those New York guys. He said, I'm, I wouldn't go. And I said, did your father, grandfather go to World War II? He goes, yeah. I said, you got any relatives that went to, to Vietnam? He said, yeah. And I said, they hit your neighborhood? And you wouldn't go. And I, I don't hate. I thought I'm a coward. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I did. And I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I still do. I still do. And so, let me just start out, Chad. You uh, have my deepest respect, man. Thank you, sir. You don't have to call me sir, man. You can call me Sergeant, <laughs> Sergeant Major. You can call me Major. Major hard on. Got you, Charlie. You can call me Captain Crunch, okay? <laughs> General Dynamics. Colonel right. Sanders, private parts, whatever you want. <laughs> Buck naked. Just not sir. Oh, <laughs> uh, listen, okay, so Chad, why did you enlist? Uh, I always wanted to be a Marine. Since I was like 14, 15, that's all I saw myself doing. Uh, even when I was in high school, I just knew college wasn't for me. Um, I wanted the challenge, basically. Well, what year did you enlist? Uh, 2006. So you knew you were, this was like Abu Ghraib, this is like... Uh, yeah. Improvise explosive devices. This this when everything's going bad, and you're and you're yeah. signing up to go over there. Yeah. And you didn't uh, you didn't waver at all. No, uh, actually, even for my uh, to go out to Afghanistan, my uh, unit I was with was not going to deploy for a while, so they were going to send me to the beach and be a lifeguard on base. So I switched units. I was going to Afghanistan. Um, I just talked to someone and said, "Who's going to Afghanistan next?" and Sign me up. Wow. So let's get to it, dude. Uh, I don't know how to say this. It's all backwards. It's not the proper way to do an interview, but I can't help it. Looking at these images from this week, do you feel it was a waste? 100%. We all, a lot of veterans I've been talking to, a lot of my friends I still talk to, um, we feel betrayed, lied to. Um, used and just used and for politics and whatever it may be. Um, we feel we let the Afghan people down. Um, there's so many good people over there and they didn't want to help us or they just wanted, you know, to live in peace. So I feel bad for those people. You got um, to, all the guys, you know, you just put your blood and sweat into a country and you, you truly believe in the mission that you're being told. To, and it was basically all big lie. But you kind of knew that when you were there, didn't you? I mean, when you... you Yeah, yes, 100%. Um, I would even joke around and uh, Afghan army would have like one of our 50 cows and I would go, oh, that's a nice 50 cow. It's going to be shooting at my kids in 20 years. Um, I knew it then. Yeah. And I was, I was correct. I just got to go back in there. So, so you know, the that 50 cow I was talking about was, was going to probably be shooting at one of our kids down the road. Who is the uh, Iraqi National Army? I mean, you guys trained them. You were out with them. Like, where do, where do they recruit these guys? And, and how they they laid down in like a second. They evaporated. Afghan. Where, where'd they, uh, what'd I say? Yeah, Iraqi. That's I'm okay. sorry. We man. knew what you meant. I got PTSD. I fucking do. <laughs> we, get, we got you. Um, so basically, 
The Afghan army is the Taliban's rejects. So a lot of them will try to join the Taliban, and the Taliban will say, no, you are shit, we don't want you. Or they are the, every tribe has like an outcast or a shithead, you know, likes to do drugs, likes to just be a shithead. And so they can't get a job in their tribe, so they join the army, and they just get high all day long. I mean, they are basically high 90% of the time. Uh, they, we go on foot patrols, they would take weed plants out of the ground, and try to carry back to base so they can get high in base. Um, you know, around a bunch of weapons and whatnot. They get high in heroin. Um, you name it. They just want to get high. Lazy, super lazy. Super lazy. Beyond lazy. You couldn't rely on them for anything. Uh, they would literally plant IEDs 20 yards from where they were supposed to be watching. <laughs> what? I, I mean, that's not even a joke. Like, literally 20 yards, IEDs were being planted where they were supposed to be standing post. And they would just sleep on post. So this crack army, this crack army that we spent trillions on, the ones that the president and the chiefs of staff were telling us they're ready. If they had talked to Corporal McHugh, they'd know they're a bunch of shitheads and they're going to fall in about five minutes. Oh, they knew. They were just lying to us. Well, why would the they, generals, they all knew. Why would they lie to us, dude? You got to ask them that question. I'm asking you. You were there. It's your culture, your to, people. To make, it believe, to make us believe that we're winning the war and it was all meant for something, but, and we're going to be able to stay there forever and whatnot or have an ally in that region so, and so, that bell in a week. So what was your takeaway on the ultimate goal? I mean, if, if the original idea was starting to fall apart, what did you think was the whole purpose behind this? I don't know. We just try to help the Afghan people. That's basically what we're told to try to secure the region. Because um, Marja was the last major stronghold in Afghanistan when we went to that city. Um, a lot of opium is grown from there, a lot. Um, so basically, now looking back, I know we were basically fighting for the opium fields. Um, that's what my belief. Um, yeah, we're just told to secure the region. Uh, we're in his hearts and minds. And... Uh, Try not to die. So you were told to lay off of the narcotics, leave the opium alone. Yeah, we were told not to mess with their livelihoods because Ooh. that will make them uh, become our enemy. You know, you take away how you put food on the table. I'm going to hate you. That was kind of mindset. Uh, we would have like meetings where we're bringing in like the tribal leaders. Uh, so get this. Uh, we would. I remember we had a big meeting with they, their goal was to make them bring their drugs in. And during that meeting, they would burn the drugs, which they did. Um, so everyone basically got high during the meeting. Um, then we would give them seeds, fertilizer, farm equipment to grow, you know, crops instead of uh, opium or weed. Well, soon as those people left that base, 200, 300 yards down the road, the Taliban's taking the fertilizer from them to use as IEDs to blow us up. God damn. Okay, so what was what was like uh, a, a a day in the field? Like uh, you'd have to take these high Afghani guys. They they'd go first, I'm assuming, because they speak the language, right? You want to clear a house or something? You're looking for insurgents. How would that work? Uh, well, we if they got attached to us on a foot patrol like that, they know how to clear a room out. They know how to knock down a door. Well, there's not a lot of doors in Afghanistan, so you just go through the entryway. Uh, they didn't know, they didn't want to. So we basically used, we pushed them through that building. 
room to room. But you push them in front of you. You go first. Shield. It's, it's your country. Yeah. yeah. You're, they're basically a shield at that point. Oh. You don't are you don't want to clear this room out. You're just going to be a shield. Damn, Chad, you did a tour in Iraq. Uh, did you work with those soldiers, and how did they compare to the Afghani soldiers that you worked with? Uh, very similar. Uh, I did personal security for Colonel Love on 2008 and 2009. Uh, traveled. He was in charge of all Western Iraq, so we just traveled the country. Uh, see, one of our first missions, I'll tell you, um, very tribal over there, too, with the Sunnis and Shiites. Uh, we went to go do a hospital tour and PR kind of mission. And there was a guy that the Colonel said he didn't want in the meeting because he doesn't trust him. So the uh, Iraqi army guy just took out his pistol and just blew his brains out. Oh, wow. His own brains out? So that, no, he shot the other guy because the Colonel said he didn't trust him. Holy fuck. You got to watch that? And it, yeah. And then, you know, did, did somebody write up reports or like, fuck it. Yeah. You know. Well, the colonel got pissed off. Uh, pissed he's, off. I, did, I didn't. Mean, I, yeah, he got pissed off. I didn't mean to kill. Mean to kill him. And uh, we just basically canceled that uh, meeting. Um, <laughs> I would say so. We just walked away. We went back. We went back to our trucks and went back to base. Uh, I think we did that meeting maybe two months later. I mean, at times like that, are you sitting there going, "Like, what the fuck are we doing here?" You're just dumbfounded. Like, how do these people survive? You know, they don't value life like we do. Um, but the same thing, Iraq army was very corrupt, super lazy. Uh, see, I was over there when I was 20 years old and I'm watching, oh, sorry. I'm watching, uh, the Iraqi army and just tell myself, they're going to lose this country in five years. And when was that? That was 2010. You were like six years off. Yeah. Yeah. See, I look, I supported going in. I still do. When you're standing in the wreckage of your own city, the 100%. mass death, I'm like, 100%. Go get this fucker, hang him high, and then leave with the promise that you do anything close to this, we'll be back to fuck you up. That was 19 years ago. And we had bin Laden pinned down in the mountains of Tora Bora, and we didn't send in. The cavalry didn't send in Chad because the higher-ups said, well, if Bin Laden's there and he scoots into Pakistan, they'll grab him for us. Well, you know how that turned out. It's such a... I don't know who's running this country anymore. It's become a sorority house, a frat house, a bunch of incompetence. And now no, you... Hey, 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 Chad, they can hear you. Hey, Chad, they can hear you. Put your ears He's got his earbuds on. It's okay. It's all right. Oh. Who's that, now, your mom? Now we know who's in charge at Chad's house. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. There's someone being a cat. Here we go. Here we so, go. So, Chad, in your, in, in your reveal, if you will, and although, you know, because I'm reading some of the stuff on social media, a lot of people are, first of all, saying thank you for your service. Um, but one of our listeners is saying, are you concerned about your safety at all uh, in terms of um, your conversation and reveal uh, about the realities of uh, Afghanistan? No, not at all. Okay. Um, would I, speaking the truth should never, should never be scared of speaking the truth about stuff. Okay. Well, because nobody wants you to. It, when you speak the truth, it becomes political. Like the truth just can't yeah. be the truth. And so they come after you if it's not the right talking point. Trust me, I know. 
Mm-hmm. In the Afghanis that you dealt with, did they have any appreciation for maybe our culture or the Western way of life? Uh, well, they all think we all live like the Hollywood dream life. They think we all drive Ferraris and Corvettes and they want to come live that dream. Um, a lot of them talked about, well, especially our translator. I really liked our translator. Uh, I gave him all my information to uh, vouch for him so he can get a visa if he ever chose to. Um, it's, they didn't care about much. The Afghan army, at least. Where is he? Uh, have you kept in touch with him, the translator? No, I, no, I wish. Uh, I don't know anything what happened to him after. He stayed in Marja after we left, and I don't know anything that happened to him. But he got he was a trooper. He'd be in firefights with us. He'd get blown up with us. Um, and he kept on pushing forward. So, bro, you mentioned this great American life that they all think we live. And I'm, I'm guessing you did about 12 years. Is that about right? Twelve years, what? In in the Marine Corps? No, I did four and a half years. Four and a half. Oh, just they just fucking had you running around. Three tours in four and a half wow. years. Wow. Okay. Oh, well, it's two tours and then with the State Department one tour. Okay. So, State Department. Were you a contractor? Yeah. Oh, you stayed and did that black ops shit. Interesting. Okay, so you come home after four and a half years. You see. Central Asia. And then you come home to Detroit. And what are you thinking when you look around? Uh, the, the real war is in Detroit. What do you mean? Detroit's worse than most cities in Iraq, most cities in Afghanistan. More people also, dying also shot. Chat. More people are getting shot and killed every day in Iraq or uh, in Detroit than most major cities in Iraq or Afghanistan. Maybe not right now in Afghanistan, but, you know, two, three years ago or even six months ago, there's more people dying in Detroit than I want to say probably 90 percent of Afghanistan or Iraq. What about standard of living? I know they don't have doors and, and, and plumbing and stuff like that, but are, uh, are the streets clean? You know what I mean? Is are people healthy? Do they eat right? Uh, the Afghans that we dealt with, the locals, uh, they're mostly all farmers, super poor farmers, uh, skinny. But, you know, they probably, I will say 98% of the Afghan women over there will probably outwork American men. The women over there are hard people. Um, Did you respect them? They, oh, 100%. Uh, one of the things I was proud about Afghanistan was we set up three schools, yellow, blue, and white school. And when we first got there, there was only four kids going to school, um, all boys. Um, so the Taliban started putting IEDs in there at night. So we put Marines at that school 24-7 as basically operating posts. Um, let's see. And when we left, I believe it was 244 kids, women or boys and girls going to school within seven months. And how do you think that's going to be a year from now? No schools. And then I look at my city, my capital city, my people, Detroit, and the tens and tens and tens of millions that go there. And I, I wonder, like, what these kids get? Everybody's looted those schools. So there, there's like some parallels here. The Afghanis loot, the Americans loot. And the children suffered. Did, did you see that? 
the Taliban would use the kids. Uh, uh, I served with uh, the last Marines who received the Medal of Honor um, came from my unit, uh, Kyle Carpenter. He jumped on a grenade. Um, the intel that we got it was it was kids throwing through the grenade um, at a, or at him um, when he jumped on it. So the Taliban would use the kids um, as well. Um, yeah. They would throw, their kids would throw rocks at us. They would beg for food in one hand and have rocks in the other. We didn't give them anything. And they would throw rocks at us. So listen, um, you work in security downtown, right? Uh, rowdy dudes are out there bothering women, and you step in to, you know, break it up. And what happens? Uh, yeah, I basically kicked him out, and then he went behind the door, uh, got a knife ready. Came back around, spit in my face. I knocked out his one friend, lined up with him, and that's when he stabbed me in my heart. And I kind of kept on fighting him for a second. That's when I realized I was stabbed. And then there was cops on the other side of the restaurant and put me in the back of the cop car and got me to Detroit receiving. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad. Physically, mentally. What? Emotionally. Say again? Emotionally. And we all have our emotional problems. <laughs> what happened? Did, did they catch him? Did they prosecute the stabber? Yeah, he just got sentenced. Uh, they caught him within three to five minutes. Um, see, they sentenced him, I want to say, three months ago. And he got seven and a half to 15 years. Uh, David Galls is his name. As a victim, are you satisfied with that sentence? No. Yeah, it seems awfully that, uh, lenient. Protecting murder, yeah, protecting yeah. murder. That he did that on the other side, eight miles. He'd be looking at fifteen or twenty-five. At yeah, least. yeah, that's a great point. I mean, he did stab uh, somebody in the heart. You, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I had to drop out of college at Wayne State in my last semester, and then COVID hit. So now I'm doing HVAC. Yeah, but well, guess what? Be your own boss. Try the bricklayers.org, yeah, bro. Yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, those guys are crazy. I couldn't keep up with them. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, boys? You hear that? Three tours in the Middle East, stabbed in the heart, and he can't keep up with the bricklayers. Bricklayers, that's right. Tell me if this isn't like an out-of-line question, but I mean, in terms of support for the government that you served, are, do you get the kind of support that you need? I mean, now that you're not, an, uh, that you're not active anymore? I mean, we hear a lot uh, about people who've served, they come home, and they don't they're just like like throwaways do you feel like the support is there should there could there be more uh the va in detroit has a really good uh, mental health program and that's probably one of the few things they are good at um no i try i try to avoid the va i find it very depressing um all i do is try to throw pills at you and not try to live a or try to teach you how to live a clean lifestyle eating food working out still because a lot of veterans don't take care of themselves after they get out um so they just i mean i think at one point they had me on like 12 different medications wow. and i just what? just eventually just stopped just stopped taking the medications and realized i was doing better without it and then with it what did we do send dudes over there with some spurious mission they do their duty. They come back. They get stabbed. Yeah. They're walking around on popsicle sticks. They're waiting six months, right, for a VA appointment where they give you a couple of fucking pills. We can't pay for it. What do we do? L let me do this. Let me give you the last word, man. Tell the government, tell the people the value of a, a, of 
the fighting man and woman, and when should we send them? What should the criteria be when you're going to launch fucking ships? You got me, Chad, or no? Yeah, I got you. That's a hard question. I mean, we were attacked. Uh, they put planes in our, you know, Twin Towers and killed people. So we wanted revenge. I remember that time. You know, everyone's united together, staying together, be a, proud to be American um, and whatnot. We all wanted war after that. So, I mean, the way I look at it is we won the war. It's our Vietnam 2.0, 100%. Um, we won that war in six months with the Special Forces and the Air Force. That's when we should have got out. Uh, we had our opportunities to kill bin Laden. We didn't take it. Um, so I feel like through the politicians, their actions, they wanted that war to go on as long as it did. I don't know why, but here's what we're going to do. Hang on there. We're going to, we're, we're going to mute you. I'm going to take care of a little business and I want you to stay on and listen. Uh, my pal, my dear old friend, David Rode just clicked on. He's got a story to tell. Again, David Rode is, uh, I don't know, what, what are you, the news director of uh, the New York? Unmute yourself, man. Are you the news director <laughs> who, of the New who York? Who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. Uh, multiple Pulitzer Prize winner, a, a, a badass, you know, a foreign correspondent. I think he's decided not to do that anymore. He's kind of grown up and realized, <laughs> you know, I can't, I, I, can't say, I can't save the world. <laughs> yeah. right? But he's trying to save a friend of his. And we'll get to that. Thanks for joining us, brother. Um, as always, ladies and gentlemen, the No Bullshit News Hour is brought to you by American Coney Island, Detroit's oldest family-run restaurant and the birthplace of the famous Detroit Coney Dog with chili, mustard, and Vidalia onions. Let me quickly tell you how this was invented. In 1917, two and a half years before national prohibition, Michigan was the first state in the union to ban alcohol. So Gus Karos, a Greek immigrant, gets the great idea, hey, why don't I turn my shoeshine shop into a speakeasy and a gambling den in the basement? Really? So yes, it is America's first speakeasy. So people like to drink. They like to gamble. You don't want to get up. You remember the Earl of Sandwich? Mm -hmm. yeah, what right. did Gus come up with? A hot dog with Greek chili, which is, there's no, there's no tomato in Greek chili. It's a meat sauce. Yeah. Some onions, some mustard boom History. so basically the american coney island dog is america's version of the sandwich it's the original and it's located in the heart of detroit at lafayette and michigan avenue and now they're open till seven hey right it's, all right it's going it's going yeah. okay crawling out of it survived and remember american coney island dies we all die because it's a cultural touchstone in America. Amen. And if you want a Coney dog, you go to American a Coney Kit. 12 of these things that you get to prepare. They come with pack them, dry ice, anywhere in the United States. Uh, go to ConeyIsland.com. And ADR Consultants. Yeah. Your shit fucked up. You need shit fixed. Everyone's right? is. Right? You're dealing with the government. You know what we should have done? I do this every week. What? You wanted to manage the withdrawal from Afghanistan. <laughs> you want to plan... Right? Logistics, <laughs> communications, yes. right? You Technology. call ADR consultants, right? <laughs> yeah. For the free consultation. You call Barry Ellen Tuck, 248-318-9424. He'll get your people out. I'll put you in touch with him. No, David, he don't, <laughs> he don't got that kind of juice. 
<laughs> but uh, they do everything from construction, management, demolition, rehabilitation, uh, and owner representative services. Uh, ADR, they are honest, ethical, and smart. Give them a call. Yeah, thank you. No problem, give them a call. That's it may surprise you, Charlie. You never know. He yeah. may have some, you know, international contacts. He's an international. Barry Ellen Tucker, international man of <laughs> intrigue from Jersey. He's a bald power lifter. <laughs> he is, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you heard that, Barry. Okay, hit me with some Nuke Nowacki. That's right. Overreaction is not a strategy for the long-term investor. Neither is burying your head in the sand and hoping it all turns out for the best. Call Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748, for rational financial advice. Inflation, Ooh. interest rates, how are they going to move? What's uh, your move? Uh, my move's to call Luke. That's right, at 248-663-4748. Get advice, get a strategy, get a clue. That's what they do. They're the best in the business. All of your investment needs. Look here. Cut. Thank you. Charlie, Luke's got competition. Chad pulled his shirt up, so, you know, Luke has bumped down to number two now. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Oh, you got Chad <laughs> with the dreamy chest and Luke with the fire plug junk. You put these two guys together, you got the baddest ass portfolio manager in the United States. <laughs> but let's stop. Let's get serious here. Uh, David Rode is uh, with us, an old friend of mine back from the New York Times Day. How are you, brother? Good. How are you? Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, man. Um, let's do this backwards. Let's just put it, David covered Pakistan and Afghanistan. David was kidnapped by the Taliban, uh, held hostage. They were trying to shake out millions for his life um, before he escaped. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, wow. but it's very serious because he wasn't the only one that was kidnapped that, that evening. Um, your driver and your fellow journalist and, and interpreter, what, what is his name, Tahir? Ludin? Tahir. Tahir Ludin. Yep. And there was a, a, a third, an Afghan guy named Assad. He was a Mongol. He's a driver. So it was three of us. So th a three of you guys, seven months, they're taking you safe house to safe house to safe house. Huh? Yes. Seven months. Fuck. What'd they have you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Did you have to like clean, cook for them? Um... We, yeah, I used to sort uh, through rice, like stacks of rice, you know, and you'd look through the stacks of rice and see if, uh, and pull out the, um, if there were stones and dirt and stuff like that. And I, I volunteered to do it. Assad was the driver. He was smart as hell. Say what you want about Afghans in Afghanistan, they're survivors. So Assad became our cook because the driver's, you know, life was worth least. He would be the first one that would be killed. So he did that, and then you were bored. So I would sort of clean, and and then one way I helped him cook was to pull stones out of the rice that they brought. Well, you know, when I was reading your uh, your book, didn't didn't the Taliban want you to sing Beatles songs to them after dinner? <laughs> they sang, um, um, they sang, uh, they knew. Uh, I'm you're bringing all this back, Charlie. Um, they knew the song she loves you they just started singing it on their own one night we were like sitting around um with all these kind of kalashnikovs sitting on the floor behind us and they we all sang it together Did you, you, and the you, guards you, were mixed like there were guys that were really nasty who were like he's not a journalist he's a spy 
they made up shit. They're like, oh, I looked on the, you know, online and he's a FBI interrogator, which was totally false. And then uh, he was, I didn't like that guard. But then there were other guards who were like, we know you're a journalist and, you know, we have to, it's our job to, you know, hold you here. And so anyway, you know, humanity, we, we in all countries and communities, they are really good people and really bad people. And you got locked up with some bad ones, didn't you, brother? The Afghans were great. I mean, uh, Tahir helped me escape eventually. Um, Assad to, you know, save his life. The driver, he ended up kind of cooperating with the guards because, um, again, he was worried that he was going to get be the first one killed, and that was a way to stay alive. So um, uh, Tahir helped me escape. He's the journalist. And then uh, w- we had talked to Assad a couple times about escaping, and he told the guards we were thinking of it. So we went on our own at night and escaped. Uh, Assad got out um, a few weeks later, and I'm very proud of the fact that both of them, um, Tahir and Assad, have since come to the United States um, and are here and are safe. And they're citizens. Uh, Tahir is. Assad came much later. He's not a citizen yet. Now, you wrote this week, is Tahir in Afghanistan now and and trapped? No. So Tahir is in Washington, but yes, here's the... The, the catch and the, the reason I'm here. Okay. Uh, his um, family, his uh, wife and children are in Kabul. They're trapped. Um, he was, he just became a citizen. Uh, he brought some of his children over, but there's still some left. I'm not going to go into detail about the makeup of his family because they're in danger. Um, and um, he went there and was trying to bring them out. He applied for them to come uh, in March. Um, and the American government bureaucracy has been unable to process, you know, bringing his wife and kids here. It is his legal right. He is a citizen of this country. And, you know, he naturalized. He's, he came here and he wanted to be a journalist. He ended up, you know, driving for Uber and delivering Amazon packages. But he works his, well, you know what, off and pays his taxes. And he's a good, great addition to this country. So I'm very frustrated that, you know... There was time to get them out, and the government didn't move, uh, and now they are trapped in Kabul. What do you? What What can we do? What are you trying to do? I mean, it's not a good scene. They know who his wife and children are. So they got a. Um, uh, it's really a, just a chaotic mess at the airport. The U.S. troops are have secured the airport, so they sent out um, an email message um, to Tahir. Um, saying you're a U.S. citizen, so your family should make their way to a certain gate at the airport. I'm not going to say which one. And so they all went there, um, and they had to go through Taliban checkpoints on the way to the airport. Um, the, the Taliban did not recognize, you know, who's, you know, that, that was their father and husband who had helped me. So they, they get through there. They stop, and they have to walk like a mile on foot. Um, the Taliban are like shooting in the air. They're beating people. It's just really chaotic. You've seen all these videos. Um, they make it to this gate that the U S embassy told them to go to. They have this thing. That's like a pass. You know, the email said, this is a pass for the family of a U.S. citizen. And this will get you in at this gate and the gate is closed. And there's like hundreds, maybe thousands of people lined up and waiting and waiting. And so they wait hours and hours and hours. And then a tran- we, we get through to somebody inside and a translator calls them and says, go wait about a half a mile or a mile from the airport. And the translator says, I'll call you back and we're going to bring you in. We're going to wait and do it at night. So they go to the spot and then there's another like five or six families sitting there waiting. 
in this spot. I mean, they're all in cars and, but, uh, and then uh, they wait and the translator doesn't call and they start calling this translator inside the airport and this translator with the Americans and he stops taking their call. Okay. So the curfew happens, the Taliban curfew, they go back home. All their neighbors have seen them leave. You know, they were in hiding, but now they're in more danger because, you know, our government told them to go to the airport and the gate was closed. So, so put it, your feeling. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> this is fucking outrageous. Yes, this is, it a, is a, 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 uh, uh, I should, it, it's a, shit show. Uh, an effing mess. It is an S show, whatever. Sorry. I know, you know, it doesn't matter in this show, but I'm just trying to. That's the name of my uh, last book, a bestseller. It is, by a, it is a chaotic mess. Whatever, maybe, look, we should leave Afghanistan. We lost the war. We talk about that. It's fine. This could have been planned so much better. You know, the, the, he is an American citizen. We knew for months we were going to be out of there. We knew people would panic if, if the Taliban started advancing. And it's, it's shocking how bad this is right now. The latest thing on CNN is that a flight hasn't taken off in six hours. Before that, all the U.S. military planes were, were like flying out. A lot of them were half empty. Yet they won't let people through the gates to get on the planes because they're afraid. And to be fair to the soldiers, first of all, the sorry, I'll stop. But no, the first day there were not enough soldiers. There was like maybe 500. Another Afghan friend of mine was there on the first day. So, the, you know, there was this talk of 5000 soldiers, but, the, you know, there were 500 of them. It looked like to him and they were afraid of getting overrun, you know, by the Afghans. And the Afghans are all desperate and think, you know. If we can just get inside the American part of the airport, we'll be okay. So I think more troops are there, but it's like a wall of gates and they're just like, you know, they won't let people in. And the British are going out into Kabul and getting their citizens and bringing them into the airport. Mm. But, you know, our commanders, oh, our military right. commanders are, are a little cautious, got a, you know, American casualties, American lives. And, and I get that. And that's right. That should take priority. But this is not working. No, David, not because uh, just on the screen, you can see them. Uh, men like Chad McHugh are, are willing to do that. The troops are willing to do that because that's why they enlisted. Yes. This administration, the prior administration, the one before that, and the one before that, is fucking amateur hour in this country. You, you must agree. Do you? <laughs> do there you? are, and there are, um, uh, there are folks that are retired, there are former folks who, who, you know, went back and working on aid projects. I don't know if Chad is, knows anybody who does this, but there's people trying to help. Uh, some of them are former military, some of them, they just worked in development, some of them, like, it, what's amazing is that the kind of the private effort that's being made to try to get charter planes in there. Uh, the New York Times, you know, got 120 people through the gate. All, these are all Afghans, you know, not Americans. And time that's out, the right thing time to do. out, time out. The Hold New on. York fucking Times. My family, but you know, a lot of pansies in there. That and they don't. They're not taking knives in the chest like Chad and surviving it. They're getting 130 people out that worked with them, and the fucking United States military can't get the people out. Well, they're just trying to control who gets in, and so some. It took them three days and multiple attempts, and then they were able to somehow reach somebody, and they said, "Okay, you get to bring your group in." Here's some cash. Yeah. It, look, it's a, it's there aren't enough troops like. You know, we're going to stay through August 31st. Like, if we're going to promise to bring out at least U.S. citizens, there's a whole other 
There's 300,000 Afghans who worked on various projects, the whole civilian effort, uh, agriculture, you know, healthcare, schools, and they all like sign on to the American effort. It's been 20 years. So that's an estimate from one group that there's 300,000. They're not citizens, but they're people who worked as translators with U.S. soldiers. Again, you know, built schools, did all this stuff around the country. And that's those are the people that you're seeing kind of throng the airport. Do you feel like this whole thing was rushed because the administration and the comms crew decided they wanted some groovy pictures for Facebook and Twitter on the anniversary of 9-11? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. Let's, let's yeah. be honest here. We got and look, just again, we have like incredible logistic abilities. So when South Vietnam was falling... You know, Gerald Ford, you know, people yelled and screamed and he agreed. So we evacuated 130,000 South Vietnamese to Guam by boat and by air, just an all out massive logistics effort. And so people starting in like, you know, Biden made the announcement in May. I'm sorry, in April. So in May, people are like saying we got it. We need to do the Guam option and just bring them to a military base somewhere. Don't have to bring them in the U.S. You can vet them on the military base, you know, and just save those lives. And, and that now maybe it's an option, but for months that was never considered. Yeah. We moved, uh, until Kabul fell, we'd moved like 2,000 people in the four months. Oh, my God. Biden made the announcement. It's a joke. You know, what we could do is like we could charter like Aeromexico, uh, Aeromexico, <laughs> pick them yeah. up. No. <laughs> Next, so guess which countries are agreeing to take Afghans who don't even have some of them. They just have like, you know, local IDs. They don't even have passports. They haven't left the country. Ooh. Mexico wow. has offered to take Afghans who don't have passports, don't have IDs, but they face a threat from the Taliban because they help the U.S. Uh, Macedonia has offered to take them, you know, and we're, you know, right. Anyway, so wow. thank you. Well, you know what? Because here's the thing. Mexico will take them, put them on a bus, take them to Juarez, just, you know, walk through the, swim across the Rio and say, I'm here as a refugee. And it's a little circuitous. We should have just had a direct flight, but we're going to have to go to Mexico. What the fuck anyway. is going on? David, I wanted to ask you, you said the British are going in uh, to Kabul and getting their citizens out. Are they, do they have any resistance from the Taliban as while they're doing that? And I just, I can't get over the fact that we can't do that to get people that are supposed to be out of there out. It's it's pretty fluid. Like I think they're you know they're they're doing um, they're going in like like you know Toyota Corolla like station. There's a lot of Toyota Corollas there, but they're going very low key. Uh-huh. And I think they're you know they do have sort of agreements with the Taliban or they're you know look the Taliban are are behaving. I, I can't tell, but they're at least trying. The more moderate Taliban are trying to behave well in these now these first few weeks because they want to be legitimate and and they need aid money eventually they need international support so this is a tremendous window right now where they would let this happen but i just you know i don't know if it's the specific commander on the ground in kabul and again maybe they don't have enough troops but you know we are being much more cautious than than the brits in terms of letting people in onto the airport and going out and getting citizens out in the city that's some pretty cool and deep analysis there. Um, I want to go back to something you said. Did we really lose this war? Didn't we win a war uh, and lost the mission? Well, we won. I mean, it just, well, one quick historical thing. Charlie yeah. and I talked about this, and, and I want Chad to talk because I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I was just a journalist there. But uh, Pop um, in, Chad. Hold on a second. Hold on, Chad. Uh, unmute yourself, dude. And 
Go ahead. Gotcha. Go ahead, Dave. I think, well, we lost for two reasons. One is like massive corruption among the Afghan government officials. I work with all these great young Afghans who want to be journalists, and, but they're not the whole country. And, the, and, and I was in the cities. The urban Afghans are very different, much more kind of, they want to be modern. They're like, we want my, I want my country to be like Turkey and Dubai. They love cell phones. They love, you know, TV, everything. And then the countryside is much more conservative. But so anyway, a bunch of corrupt Afghan rulers blew it. And number two, a safe haven for the Taliban in Pakistan. I am biased. That's where I was held captive for seven months. But Chad would have gone and killed all those guys <laughs> if they hadn't run over the border in Pakistan. So for 20 years, the Taliban have been able to go into Pakistan whenever we want to pursue them and rest and wait and then come well, back in and carry out more attacks. The Afghans just took the North Viet Cong's playbook and used it for themselves with Cambodia hiding in there and then same thing with Pakistan, um, just waiting us out. They knew it was a waiting game and they, the Taliban was smart how they played this. So basically yeah. we, we get into an area of the world we don't know and get, and get fucking played. Basically. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like our, it's like, um, well, I told, we can, <laughs> can have me back. I totally believe in American democracy. We must have elections. It's good. We have elections every two years. Like, but you know, the way we fight the war was like how to each administration or member of Congress is like, how do I win the next election? So we're fighting the war in like two year increments. Yes, very much so. Uh, and, and I want to also hit on the corruption. He is 100%. It's so wide open and they don't even try hiding the corruption over there. And we don't have anything, guys. This country's flat fucking broke. It's humiliated. It, we don't trust our own elections. Remember when we went in there, it was Gush, Bush and Gore. Illegitimate stolen election. Then we have uh, the Trump uh, Russian collusion shit for a couple of years. Now we got stopped to steal with Biden. We're not even believing in ourselves. It's been such a fucked up 20 years. And we better get our act together because, David, thank God you lived to have your own beautiful children. I have a child. What are we doing? Well, we got to, you know. Anyway, we can leave in a better way. That's all I'm saying. Hundred. And, and guess and what? Few, I mean, there's got to be a cutoff at some point or whatever. But right now, you know, I don't, so now it's like 1,200 a day. I think that they're getting out and there's like tens of thousands of people outside the airport. So, um, you know, I just, who's going to want to be our ally in the future? Look, maybe we should have realized we'd lost sooner. Why did this drag on for 20 years? That's our mistake. But, um, you know, nobody faced the reality. We're going to do this, you know. And I don't and think we lost. Not, not, not. I don't think we lost a war. We we tried to make Afghanistan Germany after World War II. Yeah. Right? Here, here's the hospital. And, and Chad, we walked into, it's like this, and I spent time in the cities, Chad. I'm, uh, so I'm, it's a, there is a divide between like urban Afghans, yeah. you know, and rural Afghans. It's like two countries and they've been fighting for power back and forth for decades sounds like fucking michigan I was well i'm say. serious though this is what worries me after covering all these wars now we're going to get totally afield but all these and there's all these conspiracy theories so the taliban when they had me they were like oh 9-11 was staged by the cia and the Mossad, and you guys are here to obliterate islam from the face of the earth uh the uh afghan women are being forced to work um as prostitutes on u.s military bases and, no. you know, and women and, and you're no, no, I totally agree, Chad. It's complete. It's totally false. And so 
we're, we're getting sidetracked, but the power of like conspiracy theories is scary. Like people start believing it and we in this country need to kind of calm down and journalists need to talk about fact and like, it's not a game. And if you're whipping everybody into a frenzy so you can win an election right or left, it's, it's dangerous. You know, people resort to violence when they start believing these conspiracy theories. And anyway, it's a mess there. I worry about the future here. David, since this has happened to Tahir's family, and, you know, he's over here, he's working, he's kind of living that dream. Has his opinion on this country changed with what's happened to his family over the last five months? I was just with him before Kabul fell. I was down in D.C., and um, he lives in the D.C. area. I'm not going to say where. Um, And he was saying, like, screw this, like, screw Afghanistan. Like, he's giving up. He's got, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail. He's got, like, a house there and stuff. So he was just totally like ready, you know, and, and, and he, he's look, man, he was a journalist. He worked full time. He's a great Afghan journalist, but he's, you know, making it work and doing, you know, Amazon deliveries and God bless him. Like, so um, he's very frustrated though, this week after his family went to the gate and went through this mess for seven, eight hours. um, You know, he, he doesn't understand it. Like he's, he's like, how the Americans are so powerful, Chad, you probably saw, you know, like this massive military and the Afghans are like, how can you guys not be more competent? <laughs> so he's frustrated, but he's still desperate for them to be Sounds here. Like and he, he, he loves this country. Isn't, isn't our Senator Gary Peters, the chairman of the Homeland Security yeah. Yeah. Committee? Yeah. Hey, Gary, do me a favor. That's David Rhodes. He's a big wheel. You can find him. I, I'm going to give you Gary's number. Gary, do something. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's unacceptable. The guy's wife has a right to be here. They helped us try to do something that, that He's a citizen. nobody tried to stop. So get off your ass and do something. I am sick to death of incompetent government, two-party system where it's cocktails. They're no real. Look at these two guys, viewers, listeners, family, community. David Road and Chad McHugh. Real guys living real lives, doing real things for you. That's what we're trying to do. We're not left or right. Fix the fucking shit before thousands are dead. One last question, David. Chad, I don't know if you would know. What? Remember we pulled out on the Kurds on the Syrian-Turkish border? Remember? What happened to them? Those are the ones... That looked after me when I first got into Iraq. I, you know, I got a special place for him. What happened? They get slaughtered? No, I believe they're still holding their own in that little territory they have. That's right. Yeah, Chad, that's my sense, too. They did get initially way back in the first Gulf War when Saddam Hussein was still in power. They came in and slaughtered. He slaughtered the Kurds. But when everything fell apart after the invasion in 2003, they now have their own little kind of mini state in the north no, right remember Chad? remember like a couple yes, couple years ago trump pulled out said we're out of there we're not you know we're not holding the the turkish border the, the turks wanted to push them off well they're trying to clear their own country with the iraq government so they're obviously getting pushed back from the iraq government because there's much yeah, oil there. if there's one thing that everybody agrees with turkey syria iran iraq is the kurds are not getting shit the biggest group of people yeah. in the world without a country don't forget, you, you know, I didn't know this either, folks, but you send me to public school, I work hard, and eventually I get to meet men and women like this that you're seeing, Karen and David and Chad, and I'm proud to know you, and I'm proud to be an American. 
Thanks, David. I'm, I'll give you a call later, all right? Okay. Thank right. you, guys. Proud to be an American, too. Yeah. Chad, we'll talk to you, bro. Thank you, Thank you David. Chad. Thank you, Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for the stories. Be in touch. I'm going, brother. Okay. Okay. Oh, that was good insight, Charlie. I mean, you get get a perspective beyond the headlines and beyond the sound bites, you know, to hear from people who were there. Um, and, you know, we're not just projecting or guessing about what the challenges are and what the problems continue to be. You hear what Chad said? He feels his whole time there was a waste. Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. So I mean, fuck. That's crazy. But I'm, I, I, I would bet that he's not the only one that feels that way. Oh, no, no. Right. Exactly. Um, let me let me just uh, tell you about Hall Financial real quick. OK, Hall Financial closes the majority of their loans in eight business days or fewer. It's still a great time to refinance with interest rates back at record lows, record lows. More than half of Hall Financial's loans don't require an appraisal. That's interesting. Right? That saves you $750. Hall Financial is a company deeply rooted in philosophy, and that philosophy is service. That's why they got 4,000 five-star reviews. Make sure you understand your financial situation. Step one. Listen to me out there. Make sure you understand your financial situation. If I'm shitting, you got to be. You got to figure out a way to consolidate. I don't know what the future is. They tell us one thing and it always turns out to be another. Before you go out shopping for a home or you're going to refinance, do the work. Just go to um, David, uh, davidhallmortgage.com. Yeah, there's a link on our site too. Okay. Right. Or call 248-308-5000. Make sure you tell them we sent you that, you know, we know people. Hmm? And get a generator. <laughs> I did. Did you get a generator? We've, we're ordering one. I, yes, I got a, uh, I got, I got another one. I'm I just got, gonna go to Karen's house. I got a bigger one, so my portable one I can take to my mom's and my brothers because everybody's fucking power is going on. Yep. Yeah, and it, and 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 you know, again, these are uh, people. These are not conspiracy theories because all this stuff that people are saying is happening is happening. The best thing you can do with your money, your home, is do what you can do with what you have to be prepared. Because it doesn't look like we're getting out of this anytime soon. All right, let's do this. Be, uh, I, I want to leave you with my, with my thoughts here, but I want to do a quick couple bits of news. Number one, the cop that we told you about, the one accused of raping in a subordinate in Detroit, uh, has been charged, right? I believe, uh, I don't know. Yeah, he's been arraigned. Good. And now there'll be a press conference at Friday, on Friday at 4 o'clock. It's outrageous that something of this magnitude would be done Friday at 4 o'clock. Where you bury news. Right? When the police department opens a basketball court, it's Tuesday at noon <laughs> so they can get everything they want. So here, it's no bullshit news, and there's more to this. Last night, I got my freedom of information. I asked for his, his name's Willie Duncan. He's lieutenant in the auto theft task force. I asked for his work record. I hear there's other stuff from the past that commanders knew about. If you're listening to media, you can just Freedom of Information Act, my Freedom of Information Act, and maybe you'll get it. Because if this yeah, thing's going... the story, Charlie. Why not just wait till you do it and then repeat it as if it were their own? <laughs> so the, the pressure. Yeah, look, you got to keep the pressure on the government to do the right things. Why are... There's a dude here, another piece of news. There's another piece of news. Remember our director of health and human services, Robert Gordon? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the kind of incompetent one where you really didn't count nursing home deaths. Left, and left with a nice little deal. Mm-hmm. You left with $155,000 in hush money. Remember that? Yep. It, it really didn't go well. Well, let's, what, what's his new title? I got it here. He's been nominated. Yeah, here we go. He's been nominated to be the assistant secretary for financial resources with the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Ooh, so he got a promotion. He got a fucking promotion. But and here, a raise. <laughs> yeah, and a raise. Here's some more that I'm doing. I'm still working, folks. I don't care, Republican, Democrat, I don't care. Here's what I know. Freedom of information, this is very difficult uh, because I don't have Microsoft Outlook, and now I gotta buy Microsoft Outlook Suite <laughs> in order to read the government emails because they're making it real hard to figure out what they did. Remember those field hospitals, yeah. TCF, <laughs> yep. Suburban, Suburban Showcase? Why'd they close those? It's starting to emerge. I never understood why they closed them. I think it's because the state didn't want to pay its share. So here's what I got. Hmm. Here's a breakdown of the current funding. This is May 18th of last year, three weeks after they closed it. Suburban Showcase and TCF. The total spent, or... The funding for, we're gonna, I have to lock it down because we're not bullshit. I don't know if they spent it or they had the money for it. I believe they spent it. $120 million. Holy crap. That is $0.12 billion. For what? To service 45 people who weren't acute. They were recovering, meaning we didn't have to use those nursing homes as, you know, having your little COVID wing where they put the plastic up. That should have been the COVID wing. And they were ineffective. As you know, listening to this program, I went through the federal inspection reports. The feds actually showed up to these places. The state decided to do it virtually. Almost none of them worked. All of these hubs that Whitmer and Gordon had didn't have infection protocol. They did not work. And yet, we've got two facilities with state-of-the-art equipment, state-of-the-art HVAC, state-of-the-art decontamination, all the equipment in the world, and we used it for 45 people. Wow. Now... Auditor General mm-hmm. Michigan, get busy and, and do the death count in these nursing homes and we'll revisit it. So this dude, Chuck, Chuck on Facebook writes, <laughs> okay, <laughs> what? Okay, so lots of folks in nursing home got COVID and some died. Along the way, dealing effectively with COVID-19 in nursing homes was learned, which it wasn't, Chuck. As I just told you. A little subjective, yeah. Go dig the reports up. CMS reports. We didn't learn anything. We didn't do it. They put up plastic sheets. People got infected. Chuck. But many folks are still dead and families lost loved ones. You're goddamn right about that, Chuck. What is the actual point of this particular stroke of yellowed journalism? Yellowed journalism means um, made up. Yeah. means uh, being outrageous, overstating the case. Okay, yellowed journalism. To try to suss out what was learned or just to try and tar and feather someone who overall proved highly effective in her role protecting the public health with or without missteps. Here's the other thing. Chuck, do some work. We had the highest death rate in the Midwest. So did it work? Did it? Even though you pull a 
a report from the University of Michigan, which that health department is very politicized. They're funded by the governor. We had the highest death rate, and when they do a death study, they never gave you the death rate, Chuck. I just don't get it with you, man. You've always got some axe to grind. Here's the thing, Chuck. That's what reporters do. When things go right, great. That's how they're supposed to go. When they don't go right, you grind the axe, Chuck. The point seems to be nothing more than to grind an axe. I was a regular listener to your show before you went down this particular mean-spirited rabbit hole. No more. Bye-bye, Chuck. You sit there and be dumb because then he gets back to me. He goes, because it's a Democrat. Oh, I get it. Sailboat guy. And I like sailboats and IZODs too. Oh, no, Chuck. We're here to protect the public, the police, the old people, the soldiers, the reporters, the interpreters, the mothers, the fathers, the kids, not the parties. Chuck, bye. You'll be back because that's the news is here. Again, they close it for money. Again, you don't think, Chuck, that a rapist cop allegedly should be rooted out? Do you think he was going to get rooted out, Chuck, before I stuck my nose in it? And by the way, it's not a comfortable place to be. Some police don't like that, Chuck. So, so long. So long. Sorry, Chuck, I got PTSD. You and your stinking party, get lost. And oh yeah, the young woman talking to last night about that election was stolen. Quoting me stuff about, uh, we need a, an, an audit. What, what's that called? That uh, special audit for the. I don't even know anymore. What kind of audit is that? No, it's a got, forensic audit. Yeah, the it's forensic, forensic audit. Okay. I go, what is a forensic audit? Don't fucking know what a forensic audit is. It's a step audit. up from an audit. Come on! But it Come sounds good, Charlie. And you know what? Our listeners have amazing hashtags for Chuck. I can't uh, even say them all. Yes! Uh, I can't say it, but they're good. They're I'm, very good. I'm sorry, for I'm trying. It's really weird and hard. You know what I mean? I told you. I voted for Whitmer. I've still got to do the fucking job. We got the balls down here because it's missing. Not that we're anything special. But you saw my friend. You know, the guy that would walk into Kabul to talk to the Taliban. They set him up and kidnapped him on purpose. You saw Chad. There's people willing to do the stuff. So get off the fucking keyboard and do something, Chuck. And I'd love to go sailing, bro. Nice <laughs> Pinot Grigio. And it's Lacoste, Charlie. Oh, it's Lacoste. Not, uh, it's I'm Lacoste. So, I'm sorry. You know, we, you know what we used to do? Yeah. We used to draw them on. The little alligator. <laughs> oh, Charlie. Me and my brothers used to fight over the last clean pair of socks. Never been sailing. Hey, this is good summer camp. What the fuck is summer camp? We're going to get you some Toms, and we're going to get you some Topsiders, and some uh, Lacoste, and some polo white shorts, and put you on a sailboat with Chuck. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't feel right. No. But I know plenty of, uh, my buddy Steve sails all around the Great Lakes by himself. Really? Yeah. His father, oh. who fled, was, uh, fled the Russians and trying to get through the Nazis, right, and is hiding in barns and stuff, has this book about, uh, it was the first it was an American man, a first person to circumnavigate the globe on his own. 
And the father never sailed, but this book kept his spirits alive. And he gets to the United States, and his son picks up the book and actually accomplishes what the old man dreamed about when oh, wow. he was a young man to stay alive. Oh, wow. I, we, are, cool. we are sea people here. So That's pretty cool. see it for what it is. And don't go swimming on Belle Isle. It's full of fucking poop Jesus, right now. Yeah. Yep, it is actually closed because the Great Lakes uh, Water Authority dumped sewage into the Detroit River, and it is now contaminated and unsafe to swim uh, at, uh, on Bill Allen. I assume anywhere else you can access the Detroit River. And, so wh- and why out. did they? Why did they do this, Karen? Well, this is a result of you know the flooding and the uh, whatever's going on. Oh, it rained again. It rained. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Charlie, this is one thing I want to, and we don't have to talk about it now, but we need to put this on our list. Why is it that large corporations during, you know, the pandemic, they got they got, you know, uh, financial support. They were given, you know, buyouts and all this stuff to help them millions of dollars. And yet people who were impacted um, by the, the storm, that wasn't an act of God. It was negligence on the part of the water authority in the, in the department are being given or offered loans. Why is it that an yeah. airline can get multi-million dollars, but small businesses from the SBA have loans? Like, I, I'm not getting the connection here. And let me do this. You get, you, well, you get the connection. And let me mm-hmm. do this. For all the trades people and line workers working for the power companies, let me make this clear. Respect to the work that you do and the hours you put in and, and the dangers that you shoulder. When I say DTE sucks, I'm not talking about you. You're what's good about DTE. I'm talking about the corporate creeps who take the 10% profit and give it to Wall Street while our shit falls down on top of us. Does that make me liberal? Does that sound democratic? Does that? Chuck? Leave Chuck alone. Let Chuck be. For the people's party. The people. Part of the people. Real quick, uh, Steve Hood, Karen. Well, um, we lost, I mean, Detroit. Real lost quick, Karen, you know, Steve lost. and I didn't get along sometimes. No, I love and that's But you know what, Charlie? That's okay. That's why he's great. You know, no, I love the fucking guy. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. You started out earlier saying, you know, you're not trying to tell people what to think. And I always say, I don't tell people what to think. I just encourage you to do so. Um, and so, Ooh. you know, we like people that we don't always agree with. Steve was a good guy. We lost him to a multi-month battle with cancer. He was 58. Um, and, you know, Detroit has lost a major voice. Our condolences to um, Nick Hood and his family. And, you know, Steve was a good guy. He looked at the bigger picture and he will certainly be missed. Steve in Detroit was a big political figure. He kept track of things. He uh, was a political consultant. He'd help you run your campaigns. I mean, from John Conyers all the way through. He's from a very prominent family. Uh ministers, city council members, a uh, really unique and interesting man. Uh, he will be missed. And that dude, he'd, he'd say it, right? Sorry, yeah. He'd say the shit. So, he would. He so, would. But, but I, he, I just found out today, you know, something he stood up for on my behalf. And I never knew. He always looked at about connecting people. And I just don't think that we, it's too bad we don't always realize the depth of someone's commitment or someone's compassion uh, until they've passed. So, um, again, our condolences, not just to his um, immediate family, his extended family, and his family of friends throughout the city of Detroit and the state. Much love. We'll see you on the other side, Steve. And I, I know you're listening. He's a big fan. I know he's still listening. In, he is. In, in, the, waiting, in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Hopefully, the gate to heaven is not through Kabul. 
You know what I mean? He's going to well, we wait a while. Okay, listen, I want to get to the final thoughts here, but uh, before I do, I want you to know that uh, Medicare is incredibly complicated. When the time comes for you to get Medicare, you're going to have the questions. Can I keep my doctor? Is dental here? You know, what's part one? What's part two? Hospital insurance, private doctor, you know, all the stuff. Like, you don't want to Google it because you'll get the shit wrong. It's always like that. There's no YouTube video for it. You know what there is? There is yourmedicareguide.com. You call up, you get your questions answered by a licensed agent over the phone, on Zoom, in person, and it's free. So all you got to do is don't go it alone. Go to yourmedicareguide.com. How's that? Was that nice? Simple enough. Perfect. Okay. That was very Beautiful. good, Charlie. Mm -hmm. You know, you ought to do radio. Ah! <laughs> we are the biggest radio show after Drew and Mike. After? Yeah, oh no. I mean, we're the, we're the biggest news yeah. radio program, but by far the biggest audience is the Drew and Mike uh, show, which we are part of the Red Shepherd Network. We are in Drew's basement. Thanks for having us. Lower level. Day of day. <laughs> One of these days. He finally took the fucking garbage out. Too. I it's know, it. yeah. And it's a pile I, of I, hot I, shit. I miss Drew. To give him a hug for me. I miss him. Yeah. No. Charlie, he took the garbage out the day after garbage day. Karen, I wouldn't even hug that guy before COVID. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's a smelter variant. Drew is the coolest old guy I know. Oh, he's, he's like a, old. He's, he, is, he is. He's like a the teenager, like the the ageless teenager. Yep. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's true. All right, so let me let me let me tell you a little story, folks, and then I want to say goodbye right at it. Right when I'm done with this. Let's just go home. Okay, brother? Love it. All right. A random guy drinking a beer next to me leans over to show me some photographs of cargo containers stored in his garage on, on his phone, right? He says the boxes hold tens of thousands of rounds of armor-piercing ammunition. They're for war. That's what he says with all seriousness. He tells me he's a nom vet. What war, I ask? Against whom? Whoever wants to start it, he says flatly, whoever wants to start it. The government, if that's who starts it. But didn't you take an oath, I ask? To protect the Constitution, he says, not tyrants. So I look up from the pictures on his phone to the humiliating loop of images from Kabul up on the TV screen, and it all comes sweeping back to me. I know what happened to this guy. The last 20 years of American life happened to this guy. Collapse and incompetence happened to this guy. I think about the generation of greedy boobs who led us into this morass. I think of the newest generation of Americans who weren't yet born, a generation to whom we will leave little beyond neglect and debt. It was 20 years ago, next month, when Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda were creeping in the caves of Afghanistan, setting in motion the greatest mass murder in American history, September 11th, 2001. I was there. I'm still haunted by it. New York City was my home, my neighborhood, and my neighbors had been massacred. I wanted us to send troops to Afghanistan. I told you that. I wanted them to find bin Laden and hang him high. And then I wanted us to leave with the warning that you ever fuck with us again and we'll be back. That should have happened 19 years ago. That should have happened thousands of lives ago. That should have happened a trillion dollars ago. President Biden knows that. 
just as he knows the 20th anniversary is a few weeks away. He wanted to give us an anniversary present, and his comms team wanted to show some triumphant pictures that they could tweet. David Rowe told you that, too. I'm not alone in that. Right? Yeah. Except his people forgot to do the actual work. The Taliban is back in Kabul just in time for the 20th anniversary. Everybody seemed to know it was going to happen, but them. Think beyond the national humiliation. Instead, think about the thousands of Afghans who are likely to die at the hands of the Taliban for helping us, the Americans, who neglected to get them out. That's not all that happened in 2001. George W. Bush took office after the Supreme Court settled the recount dispute in Florida in his favor over Al Gore. Remember that, the dangling chads? Remember it well. To this day, many people consider Bush's presidency to be a stolen one. And now that's become a national pastime. Trump and the Russian collusion freak show followed by the stolen election mob at the U.S. Capitol. Can the great American experience survive if no one trusts in the vote? The guy sitting next to me with the armor-piercing bullets doesn't seem to think so. The enemy 20 years ago was Al-Qaeda. Today, our leaders tell us, our new enemy is China, the world's manufacturing superpower. But it was 20 years ago that China was a rural backwater. That is, until 20 years ago, when our leaders in the United States Congress voted to normalize trade with the People's Republic. They're the same people in charge today. Biden, McConnell, Schumer, and Pelosi, just to name a few. Since 2001, the United States has lost 3.7 million jobs to China. We've been living on borrowed bread since that time. The federal debt has octupled in 20 years. Detroit and GM went bankrupt in those 20 years. My brother's dog died from imported dog food that was poisoned. In fact, folks, the last year the United States government had a balanced budget was? You got me. You guessed it. 2001. Beginning that year and many years to follow came tax cuts for the rich and connected. So we spent what we don't have. We're printing. Inflation is through the roof, and it's not just COVID. We never even bothered to tax ourselves for the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. We borrowed it. Six trillion later, we are broke and our kids are screwed. You want to know who did get richer? The Mexican cartels. It was 20 years ago when I crossed the desert with a group of Mexican migrants into the United States, States which was... Uh, then the greatest wave of immigrants coming over the, over the border in the history of the United States until last month. I was allowed to cross as a reporter, but only with the permission of the Sinaloa cartel who control the human and narcotics trade in that area of Arizona then. I had to meet with them in a motel room, explain myself. When we went out to the desert, people were mustering in the Phragmite weeds, in groups of hundreds to be led across the Mojave by a coyote. I remember a woman and her infant standing alone since the smugglers refused to move small children across. I don't think it likely the woman and her suckling ever made it. The desert is cruel, the plants vicious, 
the son an enemy. Today, 20 years later, Mexico is a failed state and America is an incompetent one. And the Buller border fully belongs to the cartels. Today, unaccompanied children are wholly welcomed by the cartels. They're profitable. Today, there are thousands of children living in outdoor detention facilities operated by the United States government. Yet again, yelling about that two years ago. We should be yelling about it now. So where have we gone in 20 years? Will somebody please tell me? Tell me, please, where are we aiming for in the next 20? Because I don't wish this for my daughter or yours. And I don't wish to see that vet going off to fight his next war against God knows who. With that, I love you. Try to stay together. Forgive us our trespasses. We're all just human. Next week, Karen. Thanks, Charlie. See ya. See ya. Bye, Mark. Talk to you, mannequin. Where's my fucking music? I thought you, I thought you wanted to get cold. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of preparation. Just not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big shit. Bye now.